Unmistakably Star Wars, your source for a high-quality, informative, and entertaining look into the Star Wars galaxy. So strap yourself in, because here's where the fun begins. I'll tell you what, that Disney Lucasfilm marketing group, they are getting good at their game. It wasn't enough that they're dropping... I don't know what, a billion dollars or so into this little thing called Star Wars Land. Uh, they've tried to entice us with build your own lightsaber and mm-hmm. ride the Millennium Falcon. There are all kinds of little accoutrements. Even great friend of the pod, Clayton Sandell, has done a special on this, trying to, to lure us in. And thus far, you know, you've had to... Um, actually stay at a Disney property, which just take whatever the average hotel costs and multiply it by about 300 times, <laughs> and, and you're going to get roughly the cost of a Disney property. And, and then you want to get you get four hours in the park for the first month or so, which is a very limited window. We're going to talk more about that later. But I, I will tell you, Barb, I think that the Disney marketing team finally hit the right button with me. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I read just this week. It came across my news feed. I, I had to do a double take because it, it just, they know me. They know me. <laughs> um, they are now at, at Disneyland and soon to be Disney World Star Wars Land. They're going to be serving lightsaber shaped yes. churros. <laughs> Barb, lightsaber shaped churros. I'm assuming that they'll come in a mm. variety of both Jedi and Sith colors. Um, Barb, you get your pick of. Colored churro. What colored churro are you going with, Barb? Well, if I have to get a churro, sorry, not a big <gasps> fan of churros. What? Oh, oh, girl! Oh. All right, proceed. I'm sorry. It's the Canadian in me. We don't have churros. We have beaver tails. So, um... <laughs> 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 that is the most Canadian thing I've ever heard. Hey, give me one of them uh, churro lightsabers and throw a couple beaver tails on that, eh? <laughs> Bad accent. What the f*** is a beaver tail, first of all? <laughs> I have it's, to know. It's it's a pastry, like yeah. um, like uh, fried dough, basically, yeah. in the shape of a beaver tail with cinnamon and sugar, and you can get... Well, how's that different from a churro? Other than it is a churro. It's just the no, shape. It's, it's a flat better. churro. They dropped it and stepped on it, and it's a beaver tail. <laughs> no, churros are crunchy. Beaver tails are not crunchy. And <laughs> this was not the conversation. This is I'm so enlightened I mean, on this episode. I just looked up a photo, yes, and it more. looks really, really good, actually. Oh, yeah. It's, I won't. Yes, beaver tails. It's it's a very Canadian tradition, especially in Ottawa on the canal. You're freezing. You're you got your ice skates on, and you ask for a beaver tail. And yeah, it's amazing. Mom, I need a beaver tail, please. <laughs> oh my god! With my hot cocoa and maple syrup. <laughs> oh, they really do look good. <laughs> wow. Thank you. See, I'll- I have no doubt that they're good. But yeah. so, so you wouldn't buy a churro at Star Wars Land? No. What about if we're there together and we get a churro and I'll just mash the hell out of it and make it look like a beaver tail? Will you eat it then? You know what, Devin, for, for you, I yeah. would, you I would do eat that. I'd eat a okay, churro. So, and so, I would get probably, if yeah. we're talking about all lightsaber colors, 
Oh. Probably green. Yeah, green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, green churro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are are beaver tails? Just a standard brown. Yeah, I mean, but you can get some with like Nutella and Reese's Pieces, Whoa, and then the like yeah, you can get all okay. sorts. It used to just be cinnamon sugar and then lemon. Yeah, lemon. Oh, that's my favorite one. With the cinnamon and the sugar. Cinnamon sugar and the lemon. It's called the Killalo Sunrise. It's the best. Wow. I know. But now now you can get so many flavors of beaver tails, and this is not what we're supposed to be talking about. Now, this is fascinating. Hey, welcome <laughs> to Unmistakably Beaver Tails, um, your source for sugary and lemony goodness in the lower 48 and north of the border. Barb, thanks for enlightening us tonight on this 182nd episode of Unmistakably Star Wars. I am your curator of content for this evening's journey. My name is Devin Clever. And joining me, the queen of the beaver tails, the beaver pelts, and all things beaver-related, the one and only Barb the Canadian. Yeah, I guess that fits me. Hi, everybody. Oh, man. Also joining us from the 618, the newly minted graduate of the University of... Greenville University. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and your cue, um, the the very fabulous Regina Sanders. Welcome. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, my co-pilot and my nemesis, all at the same time, wow. ending the contiguous forty-eight, the one and only Salty Philly Eve. This is I, nemesis. I have some questions about, but hey, everyone. <laughs> We can talk off air. It's not a problem. I think yeah. you know that, though. That's not a surprise. Listen, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about tonight. And who knew that we were even going to touch on beaver tails tonight? But we're going to try to outdo that as we talk about Star Wars tonight. Yes, please. We've got all kinds of fun things that have come out in the news. We're going to talk about we've got, we've got some film dates coming out. But we're going to talk about not only the dates of those films, but what those films might actually hold for us, the viewers. In addition to that, we're going to talk about folding laundry uh, as a Star Wars adventure. Is that something that we might find appealing in a virtual reality sense? And then uh, this thing, this this little amusement park that we're talking about, uh, we're going to go back and talk a little bit more about Star Wars Land and some of the latest updates that we just heard this last week. So with that, Barbs, grab your beaver tails. Let's jump into a top three stories of the week. <laughs> Number three. All right. As we mentioned, uh, though there probably will not be beaver tails. What about like wampa tails? We do wampa tails, tauntaun tails, dewback tails. Mm. Sure. Yeah, those all sound great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Listen, I'm going to take a break. Little little sidebar for a moment, Kyle. Fellow Canadian of Barb's, I know you're listening to this. So DM us, please, where where Star Wars and the Beaver Tail should have kind of this cross-hybrid connection thing going on. Whether it be Dubak, Wampas, uh, Ewok Tails. They'd be short, kind of like the size of a Twinkie. Okay. Ewok Tail. No? No. Why? <laughs> are we... Are we so are, you're an Ewokist? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Are you anti-Ewok tail, Barb? <laughs> I have no words right now. You're just, you're taking this really far. So, yeah. You expected something less, maybe. Hey, back to the news, <laughs> folks. We've, uh, of course, we understand that these little multi-billion dollar projects called Star Wars Lands at both Disneyland in Anaheim and Disney World in 
Orlando, Florida are going to have this little thing called Star Wars Land that is going to be epic. It's going to make both the the youngling and the youngling in us come to life as we shell out hundreds if not thousands of dollars to spend time in the Disney park in Star Wars Land. As we know, right now, there's a couple requirements. Through at least May in Disneyland in California, you've got to stay at a Disneyland property to even get into the gates of Star Wars Land. And then, once you're in there as, I might add, a paying customer, you only get four hours of time. Now, Barb, I digress. How many beaver tails could you eat in four hours? Uh, on standard. You know, the average Canadian. <laughs> the average Canadian? Yeah, the average Canadian. I mean, you're all above average. Don't get me wrong. But the average, above average Canadian. I mean, I would not eat more than one. They're huge. Wow. Is it life size, like an actual beaver tail size? It's no. scaled one to one? No. Okay. But Is it larger than a beaver tail? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can we move along? I don't know. Move it's fun along. watching you blush. It's just, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> um, okay. So back to the Star Wars landing. All right. So four hour window of time. We're not sure how many lightsaber churros or beaver tails you could eat in that amount of time. But here's what we found out this past week is that they're now going to have first order stormtroopers clearing the park at the end of that four hour window. Okay, so you come in, you've paid your admission, you only get four hours, if you're lucky enough to get four hours, and at the end of the four hours, the First Order troops are going to round you up, tell you to move along, move along, clear the park out, so the next batch of people come in. So, Eve, I'm going to throw this out to you first. One, is this a cool way to do things as far as if you've got to clear a park out, is it cool to actually be escorted out from First Order troops? <laughs> Yes. I I mean, I would rather that than some, you know, security guard wearing a Disney jacket, I suppose. Wow. But I don't know. I mean, that's the, that's the only question you asked me. So I'll say, yes, it's a cool way as opposed to just some rando. Okay. Well, let me, let me follow up a little bit then. Do you think, I understand the right, they're doing it out of necessity to make sure they can get as many transactional dollars <laughs> in and out of Star Wars land in a four hour window. Do you think that that ultimately is the right decision at this point in the game? I I I don't know. If there was actual proof on paper with simulated congestion and people are able to do the rides, eat the food, have the experiences and be out in under 4 hours with this, then yes, I'd be like this is fantastic. But I have been to Disney multiple times. I like to linger and do my thing at my own pace. And this is a little frustrating considering it's like, here, here's your four hours. And if you don't get to do anything, you have to pay again to get back in the next day. Yeah. If know. you're lucky enough to get back in the next day. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know about this. I totally agree with you. As a Disney veteran, mm -hmm. at least Disneyland in California veteran, uh, we go every spring as we quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes in the studio, chaperone the high school senior trip. And, you know, we go because it's paid for. And we can get all the beaver tails that we want at Disneyland. Um, or something of the sort, Barb. <laughs> but even this last spring when my wife and I went, you know, it was upwards of two-hour wait time for Space Mountain. It was for, for cars in California Adventure... It was over four hours. They stopped even issuing fast passes mm. by 10 o'clock in the morning. 
that Jeez. weren't going to happen until 8 or 9 o'clock that night. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of research for this, and the average wait time for Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disneyland in California, the opening weekend, Barb, guess what the average wait time was? For Guardians of the Galaxy? No, for Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> uh, You're close. I know, I and I, I went on that this fall, so like five times, and I can't see the wait being that much longer than an hour. Opening weekend, five hours. Are you serious? Five-hour wait. Mm-hmm. The only thing crazier than that, people stood in line for five hours, <laughs> and it's a two-minute ride. Yeah, I, I see that, and I'm like, no thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but at some point, though, you run out of options, though, right? If the clock is ticking, and you've got four hours... And I'm looking again at, this is from the LA Times. They did an article about a year and a half ago on Disneyland wait times. And for this particular ride, Guardians of the Galaxy, the average now is right around two and a half hours, depending on the day, the season, all that stuff. The average overall wait time, if they took all the rides in Disneyland and California Adventures and kind of came up with the average, it's right around a half of an hour. Okay. A half an hour. Half of an hour. 30 minutes. Okay. You've got four hours. Let's pretend, best case scenario, you're only waiting for 30 minutes, which is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You look like you're going to say something, Barb, and it's not regarding beaver tails. Go. Well, here's the thing. So I was talking to somebody who already has his tickets reserved to be able to go to Galaxy's Edge in California. Yeah. And he was saying it's a four-hour window, but he's just going to save the longest line for the very end because they're not going to kick him out of line once his time is expired. Is that verified? Is that true? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. I don't know. I haven't seen Mm -hmm. that anywhere. I, I would be curious if that's the case, because why wouldn't you just go stand in line at the very last minute? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you would have to pick and choose because there's going to be more than one ride that's going to have a really long line. Well, and that's it. So even even at the best case scenario, 30 minutes, how many cycles are you going to actually get in in a four-hour window? Not too many. Regina, in your opinion, is, is this even worth it at this point to go into a four-hour window with the possibility of having to... Leave via escort services by the First Order Stormtroopers. That sounded much worse when I said it <laughs> verbally than I actually meant it in my head. To be escorted by First Order Stormtroopers in a four-hour window, is that asking um, maybe for a lot of grace on the paying customer's perspective? Um so I honestly don't think it's worth it just because I, I like to linger when I go around amusement parks, especially if this is a new thing. You've never been there before. Mm-hmm. You're going to be walking towards a line. You're going to get distracted by something. Yeah. You're going to want to yeah. see whatever that thing is and your time is gone. And so at this mm-hmm. point, I don't think that's worth it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And that college education is paying off already with your <laughs> very precise and insightful answer. I, I remember, again, going back to just chaperoning the trip. It's something else entirely to go and just watch when somebody else is paying for it, right? <laughs> like chaperones are paid for when we go. That's why we go. <laughs> and and Rachel, my wife and I, we literally only went on one ride this time. Not because of the lines per se, but just because it was nice to just meander, right? Disneyland is a great place to just meander around. I'm with Regina on this. Barb, let me, let me play back in this conversation. Your friend that's going, and I believe it's a mutual that we have. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's just insane for throwing down the cash to even go to this at this point? <laughs> I mean, 
if you've got it, why not? I mean... You're talking about the money? Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I don't think he's insane. I I definitely... Like, when he told me, I'm like, I'm not going anytime soon because yeah. I don't want to deal with the crowds. And I'm assuming this four-hour time limit is only for the first few months that it's open. Yeah, I believe it's for sure the first month. I'm not sure if it's going to extend beyond that or not. And I'm not sure yet if Disney World's Magic Kingdom is going to match that or not. I'm assuming they probably will. Match the time limit? As far as having the time limit apply yeah. there as well. Yeah, it's it's just not like I want to go. Yeah. But I don't want to go bad enough to say that I was there opening weekend with the crowds and the limits and just deal with that. There's going to be crowds for, well, years, to be honest, at Galaxy's Edge. But hopefully the time limit will be gone and you won't be as stressed out about, I got it. Because that's what it'll do to me. A time limit will stress me out in there right. because I'll want to be like, okay, I want to do this, this, and this. And I don't know where everything is. Right. It's nice when you have it mapped out ahead of time and you know where you're going. But we won't know that. And um, I'm assuming, do they even have fast passes for these? I don't know if they're going to have fast passes or not. I know they're going to have bathroom passes. If you actually need to leave the line to use the facilities, you can hold your spot in line with a bathroom pass and come back huh. to your spot in line after you use the facilities, which is fascinating that if mm. the lines are going to be so long, they actually have to have bathroom passes to save your space. That four-hour window, I'm like you, and believe me, ask my wife. I'm a total cheapskate, right? When it comes to that, like I'm, I'm looking at my clock counting how much time has elapsed between the time I've taken two steps forward in the line and the sand is running out of the hourglass. Mm-hmm. Eve, you're the salty Philly one. You uh, are on the record of having beat up a 14-year-old boy, of course, when you were <laughs> 9 or 10. So that we'll put it in context. Um, yes. Your four-hour window is up. The First Order Stormtroopers come for you. <laughs> Do you pop them in the face? I'd say the desire to pop him in the face is very strong. Yeah. I would like to get back into the park at one point, uh-huh. so I know how there to temper myself now. Do you push any old women or children out of the way to make sure that you get on the ride before you're escorted <laughs> off the property? Do I push? No, but I I, I give some <laughs> seriously dangerous side eye, and I just go right around. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that either, by the way. Yeah, I just, again, I don't want to get kicked out. It's kind of selfish. Well, and for those of that have read the news, I guess it was probably about three or four years ago at this point, but there were actually wealthy families, and it pains me to actually say this, that human beings sunk to this level, but mm. wealthy families would actually pay, <laughs> they would actually pay mentally disabled young adults and kids to come with them on vacation so they could get to the front of the line as to not have to wait with the regular hmm. people. I'm still, uh, that still happens. Are you kidding me? No, I'm totally serious. That's why I'm I said serious. like it, humanity ste- steps down to the lowest of realms sometimes. And, and that's absolutely true. Um, hopefully nobody listening to this podcast would consider doing that. <laughs> No, that's a little appalling. Yeah, it's a little bit. Just, just, a, just a wee bit appalling. You know what else is appalling, Barb? The price of beaver tails today with the exchange rate. All right, on to our number two story. <laughs> number two. All right, about, uh, what, second day or so of celebration, we got a sneak peek of this VR virtual reality for you non-hip kids out there. 
Vader Immortal. This is going to be part one is coming out this month. Part one of a three-part series that's going to put you in Vader's castle in Mustafar. At the very saying of that, Barb, your thoughts. What comes to mind? To be in Vader's castle? Or to be in Vader's castle. (laughs) I love that you do that. Um, I'm just looking at the picture of his yeah. castle off in the distance yeah. here on Mustafar um, in the article that I read. And I I mean, it sounds amazing. I really enjoyed at Celebration, they had the uh, Oculus booth for Vader Immortal set up so that you could look through the glass and see people trying it out. Yes. That was, <laughs> you know, other than feeling like you're looking at a hamster yeah. in a cage, it was really cool to see how it how people were doing that and amusing at the same time. Well, uh, and you heard about the one young man, right? I did not. So there was one. So they had they had this booth for the is it the Oculus Quest where you could experience Vader Immortal as a VR experience. And of course, you got the headset on. You're not tethered to anything. You're just alone <laughs> in this. Well, it's four walls, but it's got like plexiglass windows that you can see through, and you can watch the people partake in this experience. And one young man. Uh, he, he went to charge some stormtroopers, and he actually started running, and he ran right into <laughs> the plexiglass window and then, like, fell backwards. That was amazing. That was worth the price of celebration right there. <laughs> the only thing that would have made that better is if I would have had a beaver tail while I was watching it. But that being said, Regina, I'm <laughs> – Barb just shaking her head. Regina, I want to come back to you. Um, when we get into virtual reality and this opportunity, and let me read just a little bit of, this is from our friends at gizmodo.com, how they explain it. Vader Mortal will be released May 21st on the Oculus Quest, followed by other Oculus headsets. And here's how they go on to describe it. You play a nameless, faceless smuggler, appealing so far, right? A nameless, faceless smuggler who flies a ship called the Windfall, with your trusty droid, Zoe, voiced by Maya Rudolph of Saturday Night Live fame. All is well in the galaxy until you're captured by the Empire and brought to Vader's castle on Mustafar. There, you'll end up face-to-face with Vader himself, and he'll task you with helping him find an ancient artifact, an artifact which he believes will help him conquer death itself. This is supposed to take place in between Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and Rogue One. There is one of the writers that reviewed this. He says that he is 6'4", and when Vader comes face-to-face with him and him with Vader, he was actually looking up and intimidated. So, Regina, are you on board with this? I am completely on board with everything that has just been said. Um, I actually... So, I have this game I got for Christmas called Jedi Challenges, which is also like a virtual reality thing, and that is absolutely fun. And and, um, Vader Immortal seems uh, way more in-depth, and so... I like that experience in itself. Um, I'm always a dark side person. So helping Vader, (laughs) I have no problems with. And then uh, that actually the thing that stood out to me that I really, really liked was that you were nameless and faceless um, because Mm. there is nothing more jarring than this is like a way lower example, but there's nothing more jarring than reading a fan fiction. And you're, it's a reader insert. And then they describe mm. someone's skin or someone's hair. Mm. And then you're just like, well, that's not me. And it just takes you mm. out. And so I like that there's no, like, description. I can feel like it's actually me. So everything about that, I love. I love that. And, Barb, you're, you're going you're – gonna, your mind's going to be blown on this. Ready? I'm going to connect what Regina just said to something very Canadian. Are you ready? 
I don't know if I... Yeah, you're not, but you can... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Listen, what Regina just described is what is called the Caillou Factor. <laughs> the Caillou... And here's why. So those of you that are not parents and have had the pleasure of living a life without Caillou in it, um, Caillou is a Canadian cartoon, a little bald kid who is super whiny and has a sister <laughs> named Rosie. Oh, Rosie! But... I've Here's never the deal. Seen it. You've never seen it. Okay. I know what you're Terrible. talking okay. about. Well, he, he's bald, and so many, so many people say, "Well, why is he bald?" And it's because they they purposely said that they want him to be bald. So if if they made him blonde haired, then kids with dark hair wouldn't be able to identify with him, or kids with red hair wouldn't be able to identify with him. So it's it's this Caillou effect, and I know it's much bigger than that. But Regina, I think you bring up an interesting point because so many people that. I talked to you at Celebration saying, oh, but it's faceless, nameless. And I think that that really overlooks the very thing that you were talking about. So I think that there is subtle brilliance there, whether it had to do with lack of budget or exceptional insight into creating this nameless, faceless player. I, I'm with you on this. Regina, let me ask you this as a follow-up. You said that it sounds fun to kind of help Vader. And the article goes on and talks about you're assisting him try to locate and figure out this ancient artifact, but it also makes it sound like you've got some wiggle room with exactly how much you help him, or even if you try to escape from him. Which sounds more enticing to you as a Sith person? Is it helping Vader or actually trying to escape from Vader and maybe even facing him in a duel? Um, so I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say I'm going to attempt to run away and not help Vader. And then I want him to get mad and fight me. And then I want what? to lose and then help him. So I wow. just took I just took all the options. You 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 have thought so far down the road. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Eve, let me throw it to you. Helping Vader sounds like it could be potentially kind of cool. I don't know. But we also have learned from these articles that you, the faceless, nameless smuggler that's taking part in this, you actually don't have a voice. I mean, I'm assuming you can yell all you want in your mm. virtual space, but your character doesn't actually have a way to communicate with Vader or the other players except through your droid Zoe. To you, mm. is that kind of an enticing challenge that sounds like, oh, that might actually add to the experience? Or are you more hopeful for an iteration down the road where you can more so talk one-on-one to the virtual players. I would, that's, I feel like for me personally, that's going to be frustrating. I like the faceless, nameless. I can put myself into this character because uh, captured and taken to Vader's castle, absolutely wouldn't say no. But like, I just want the option of expressing myself through more than just my face, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. That might be frustrating for me. Uh, But, I I mean, one of the articles talked about it, how there were moments that felt like the Uncharted series. Mm. And that is incredibly intriguing and exciting for me. So if it kind of feels like that, but I can't talk, I'll just deal. Yeah, okay. That sounds fair. And we read three articles in preparation for this part of tonight's conversation. And it's interesting that each of them kind of had different shades of opinion Mm. on the experience. One of them went so far as to say, uh, actually, there are parts of it when there's some pretty big deficiencies in the graphics and the mentions like some of the tie bombers in a hangar looks very pixelated, almost like 16-bit quality. Barb, from your perspective, 
good that we're moving ahead with this. Great that Star Wars and fandom is going in this direction. Or when we're shelling out this much money for yet another thing from Star Wars and Disney, do you want the graphics and the interplay to be top-notch from the get-go? Or is this okay to just take one step at a time? Well, first off, you say we're shelling out. I'm not shelling out for this. I don't have the money for this. It's really cool. We collectively as a fandom. Yes. Um, If you're going to be spending that much money, then the graphics need to be on par with what you're buying and on par with today's consoles and what you're getting from that. I understand that it's virtual reality. You know, it's different from what we play on PS4 or Xbox. But the graphics... You know, from what I've seen from pictures look great, but from what other people are saying, maybe they're kind of subpar. And let, let's let tweak it a bit more to make sure that we're getting quality versus just getting it out there. Yeah. I think that's always part of the, the tension between anything that's computer or gaming related, right? Like we <laughs> want to get it to the masses and yet... I remember being just completely blown away when the X-Wing PC came came out in, what was it, 93, 94? And it was just so groundbreaking. And you look at those graphics by today's standards, and they're nothing. Um, our, our iPads can render better graphic images and videos and stuff than those PCs did. But yet at the same time, they had to take a, an initial step into that genre, into that flight sim genre, and bring the Star Wars galaxy to, to so many Regina, I want to come back with you because you brought up that you had the Jedi Challenges, which is actually, I believe, an augmented reality, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And so for listeners, for if you don't know the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality, virtual reality is very much like Ready Player One, where you are immersed into a completely digital virtual world, whereas augmented reality, you're still going to wear the headset, but you're going to see images kind of superimposed, if you will, on wherever you're standing. So if you're in your living room, you could see Kylo Ren next to your couch. And so from that perspective, Regina, would you say that the Jedi Challenges augmented reality is still a a good buy? Is it got replay value? How would you kind of compare that to what we're hearing about the Vader Immortal? I definitely think it's it's still a good buy. Um, For me, I feel like it would be a good stepping stone. So Mm -hmm. I would like to play this Vader immortal game um but like more than 20 minutes on the jedi challenges and i've got a headache because your your phone is on the screen right in front of your your face so you're staring at that and i'm also a glasses wearer and i also get headaches really easily so as cool as the vader game would be in being immersed i it probably only takes 10 minutes for me to get a headache and i'd have to play it like in spurts so at least um with this type of game like it prepares me i know what i'm Mm. going into Mm. That's a great point. I mentioned it, gosh, it was probably about a year ago we talked about virtual reality. And we have a gentleman on campus who he actually is in charge of a small but up-and-coming virtual reality business. And he actually, he and some of his developers actually had designed a virtual reality program for Navy SEALs to train with. And he allowed me to actually get hooked up. And it's incredible that there's, I don't know how many cameras I was surrounded by, but put on the headset, put on the gloves, and to go into this completely virtual reality trainer that the SEALs use. And I mean, I was just sitting in a regular spinny office chair inside this office. And 
virtually I was in a submarine. And he would tell me, like, push that button. And, you know, I can see my hand, my digital virtual hand, go to, to actually push a button on this console inside the virtual submarine that I'm in. And literally the submarine begins to descend. And it's crazy to sit in an office chair with this stuff strapped around your head and these gloves on your hands, and you actually get the feeling that you're descending in the water. And he goes, okay, now stand up. And that was a trip to just stand up. I'm like, I'm going to lose my balance. This is crazy. And he goes, now, here, here's something that is different from virtual reality and augmented reality. There's a console panel in, in front of you, digitally speaking, virtual speaking. And he goes, now, look over to the other side of it. And you can actually, like, look over it and see what's, quote, unquote, behind that virtual panel in front of you on the submarine. And you can see how this would be incredible as far as learning how to do things that required reflex or muscle memory or being able to, in some cases, I'm sure, learn how to diffuse certain devices in a very non-life-threatening way. And, Regina, I I can definitely tell you, though, like, not only from uh, the headache standpoint, but just a kind of a feeling of seasickness as I guess the best way to describe it is just like, it's so weird to just sit in one place or stand up, but yet you feel like your entire body is in, is in movement. Well, I was going to say, do you know what that, do you know what that actually reminds me of? It reminds me of the dark rides that are, um, at universal studios. Um, so I've been, um, on the Spider-Man one, I've been on the Transformers one, and I've been on the one in Hogwarts in the castle and um, granted, they're different because they're like roller coasters, but you put on the glasses and they have both uh, virtual and practical effects. And so when you're going through the Transformers ride, you actually you actually feel like you're falling. You're being chased by Autobots, Decepticons. When you go wow. on the Harry Potter ride, you legit feel like a Dementor is sucking out your soul. You're going through a magic portal and everything. And so I just feel like it's practical for like training and things like that that you were talking about yeah. and it's good yeah. for like 2.5 seconds of a thrill i just don't yeah. know if i could do it for like an hour yeah i i'm with you in fact going back to chaperoning this in your trip we had one young man two years ago on the harry potter ride lost his breakfast and by that oh. i don't mean it fell out of his pocket i mean oh, no. all over gryffindor baby all over gryffindor <laughs> oh. um yeah, it was. It was. It, he's he's still a legend. He graduated, and he's still a legend. So I I'm totally with you. It's funny how our body, and for those of you that are a little older, more seasoned, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, 40 or, or older, you probably know. My guess is you don't look forward to riding things like teacups or spinny rides <laughs> at that point in my life. Um, I know I don't. Thank goodness my wife can still do that for uh, our our kids. But yeah, I've I've had to say goodbye to the Mad Hatter teacups. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my pain, Barb. I appreciate that. I need to laugh at you when I can. So It's yeah. true. It's true. I'm here for you, Barb. I'm here uh-huh. for you. Yep. Let's check out our number one story of the week. Number one. All right. We got some news last week. Hey, good news, right? We got it announced that we're going to have some more Star Wars films beyond Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. In fact, Disney came out and said, Untitled Star Wars, 12-16-2022. Untitled Star Wars, December 20th, 2024. Untitled Star Wars, 
December 18th, 2026. And we applauded. And then questions began <laughs> to get asked. It's interesting that fandom has become so cynical <laughs> that we immediately go to, like, what aren't we seeing? So it, it arose, um, hey, so are, are these the Ryan Johnson trilogy? Are these the Benioff and Weiss trilogies? Uh, is it both trilogies rotating and this is just the first three of them? Uh, are they none of those trilogies? Nothing was said. But, as the internet does... <laughs> One YouTuber, and you can decide how much credibility you want to give to him, but certainly things that he has talked about having persons on the inside and in the industry have given him insider information before regarding other films, including the fact that like Ben Affleck was going to be done with the Batman series. He had announced that over a year before that even happened. Those same people said, well, actually... Those movies that got announced, they're the Benioff and Weiss trilogy, and the Ryan Johnson trilogy has been canceled. Disney, Lucasfilm have said nothing about that. Of course, Ryan Johnson has said nothing about that. The only thing that this is built on are two sources that this gentleman has used before, and the fact that those sources have been proven to be reliable in the past. Eve, let me begin with you. Before we even get to what this may or may not be as far as whose trilogy it is or if one is canceled or not. Is this good that we got three more Star Wars films announced and we have hard dates for those? I think it's good. I think the best part of it is the gap. The gaps between the years of these films. And after everything that happened with The Last Jedi, I think this is kind of a healthy like it's a, it's a move in a healthy direction mm -hmm. because people are still going ham <laughs> over the last Jedi and it's been a year and a half and, yeah. and, and I, and, but it's, but it's dying down unless you trigger them, you know, mm. and this, I think it's just a good move. It's taking, it's taking a step back, but still remaining in the game and, and telling the people that love what is going on and love consuming content that more content is coming mm. and and i think that that's a good show of faith in in that respect but as for whose trilogy it is or who's directing it or this that or the other i e, let me follow up with you though we've got we're gonna get uh, the rise of skywalker this christmas uh season so that's gonna be in 2019 and then it's gonna be a three-year wait mm -hmm. Is, is, and then from there on after, it's going to be a two-year wait for each of the subsequent films. Is that yeah. the right amount of time, do you think? Or did you like the pacing of one a year? Or traditionally speaking, every three years if we go back to the original and prequel trilogies? No. I mean, I just said I think it's good to have these this, this three-year slash two-year gap in between the films. And it gives just time away and you know because there how many articles do you have and youtubers and just content creators going on and on about there's too much it's overwhelmed you're diluting the pool it's it's you know we can't catch up there's not enough time and then you have the people that just love it and i think this is a happy medium you're still giving us content but you're putting a little breather in between it okay all right barb would you agree with what Eve had to say? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's finding that balance in the medium between the ones who love it and the ones who don't and yeah. giving us 
the right amount of space. And do you think the two-year is better than, say, the traditional historical three-year approach? Um, I, I Yes. I, I think we're at a time now where movies can – movies are just coming out faster than they used to. Production sure, sure. seems to be maybe a little faster. Maybe I'm too ignorant to really know the answer to that um, when it comes to filmmaking. But I think for – for the fans and the amount of people at Disney that are working on these Star Wars films, that these two-year gaps are good. And, um, you know, as our article says, who's to say who's directing each? And, you know, the director of the one in 2024 could be different than the one in 2022 right. and be working on it right. while the other one's being worked on. Yeah. So it's just hard to say because they never said this is a trilogy. No, it's true they haven't, which kind of brings up the, the next set of questioning, and, and that is... Do you think that there is already plans for content beyond these three? Or do you think that, uh, given our track record in the past couple of years, we're going to say for sure these three and uh, we may release something else, but nothing is going to get released until we really have a solid idea of what this is going to be? Yeah, well, as the article says, it, does, it doesn't specify what else. Right. And there could be more right. than what they're saying. And I think they're kind of just you know, testing the waters to see what is going to happen with the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And what is it going to look like from this point on? I mean, they, they already know what these movies probably intend to be. We don't. Yeah. But just, again, just seeing where Rise of Skywalker goes and where people are at when it comes to wanting a Star Wars film to know what they're going to add to what they've already told us. Yeah. I think I agree with that part of it. And I think that, you know, the other thing we have to remember is it's not like that's the only Star Wars content we're going to be getting. We're exactly. still going to be getting whatever we see on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. among other stuff. Regina, let me ask you from, from your perspective, you know, he was right in saying that here we are a year and a half after The the Last Jedi and we still have people sincerely upset about it and after the last day there was a super quick turnaround and the release of solo and even bob Iger from disney has come out and said yeah we kind of blew it with that for a number of ways there's also been a history of like here's our director we're firing the director here's our director we're firing the director do you think part of the mystery behind these three slated films that were announced not announcing the directors that that actually helps fans go okay what we know is this little morsel. We don't need to know more than that, even though we may want to know more than that. And that actually gives Disney some more wiggle room to figure out what's going on behind the scenes. I agree with that. I actually had never thought of that before. Um, I mainly thought that they did it just because um, Game of Thrones is ending and we have the Skywalker saga ending. So that's just like information overload so maybe let Mm. the let the projects currently in motion end and then announce something new but Mm. now that you bring up that point i i think it's valid and very very fair yeah i'm i'm really wondering if their entire approach is going to be kind of different from from this point forward it seems like to me and regina feel free to jump back in but it seems like to me with Episode 9 coming, we know, or at least we've been told, that this is the closing of the, this era, this nine chapter, or if we wanted to throw Rogue One and Solo in there as well, this 
11, sorry, I had to do public school math on the fly there. This 11 <laughs> chapter, this 11 chapter um, series coming to a close. And I wonder if it's just like you said, that there, there's so many other things going on, non-Star Wars and Star Wars related, that maybe it's just a great time to just everybody take collective breath. We're going to reboot. And that's actually really going to help us gear up excitement-wise, anticipation-wise for whatever this next trilogy is and beyond. And it, it's that, and part of me also thinks fans need a time to mourn. Like, I understand mm. that it's fake and it's in space, um, but but if you want to loop it back to Game of Thrones, like, we have the last, the last episode of the series coming, and no matter mm. what happens, I've loved Jon Snow for, like, four or five years now, and mm. I need to mourn not having that character around anymore. Yeah, I can go back, watch mm. episodes, whatever, but it's not the same. So when mm. you have the Skywalker saga ending and you're saying it's the culmination of all of these years of films, which I think is also where where part of the thing with The Last Jedi comes from, you have individuals who aren't happy with what happened with Luke. You have individuals who are happy with what happened with Luke. And then you have individuals who just are coming to terms. Like take my dad, for example. He saw A New Hope when he was 18 years old. Mm. All of those years, here's his favorite character who's gone now. You have all of mm. those feelings. You have to take some time to process this person that you have lived with, admired, liked, maybe inspired you. And so I also mm. think it helps to mourn the end of a saga that you've loved for maybe a year, six months, mm. maybe 40 years. And so I think fans need time to grieve. Yeah. I, you know what? That's a really interesting insight. I hadn't really looked at it that way. Eve, let me kind of drag you back into the conversation here. When it comes to whether or not any, any shreds of this rumor that was kind of circulating around the Twitterverse last week that this is the Benioff and Weiss trilogy. Let's just talk about that part of it right now, that this is the Benioff and Weiss trilogy. Your thoughts on that? Is that is that good that we're looking forward to maybe having their trilogy really soon? Do you think that any of the noise on Twitter given the last several weeks of Game of Thrones is making uh, fandom more nervous. Here we go again. What are your thoughts on that? Uh. <laughs> well said. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, USW's public enemy number one, but I just, listen, <laughs> I have always been on board with what has been given to me with Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. from a storytelling pers perspective from uh, like it, it, it you know a character study perspective and the fact that they work exclusively with george R. R. martin through every season and i'm almost positive every episode mm -hmm. this isn't something that they're just like oh we're gonna do this and george is gonna be fine with it that's not how it works and you know the last few episodes of Game of Thrones have been impacting in a very challenging way as as a as a diehard fan and it's my favorite show of all time and I know a lot of that stems from writing so mm. am I a little concerned <laughs> yes but for the last episode of Game of Thrones not for what may come in Star mm. Wars I think it's just a completely different property they are not going to Game of Thrones fi Star Wars. <laughs> right, it's, it right. wouldn't work. It, in, in no universe would that work. And 
it's hard for me to say that because there are things, you know, talks of gender and and what they're doing to the female characters on the show and what they've done and, you know, driving this particular character into essentially a, a corner where like, she's basically a rat in a corner. What do you expect? And it's frustrating. And I, and I don't know if that's because, you know, they don't like women or they don't see women as power figures, which is just, it doesn't make sense. Mm. maybe my logic is lulled because I'm incredibly biased towards the show, but I, I'm still hoping that both Ryan and Benioff and Weiss give us something in the future. Yeah. And I think that they will, I mean, nothing has been said to the contrary bar from your perspective. And I don't want to spend much time on this because again, things have not been confirmed from Disney or Lucasfilm. But in hearing things like the Ryan Johnson trilogy has been canceled from, in this person's perspective, trusted insiders who have proven to be accurate before, if that's the case, is that a loss for Star Wars fans? Wow, throw me under the bus. <laughs> no, I'm just asking for your opinion. I mean, I just... I... Yes. It is a loss for Star Wars. And then tell me why. Well, I loved The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. I really like Ryan Johnson's take on Star Wars and, you know, where he took it. And I think what, he was given the trilogy before The Last Jedi was even released, which meant that Kathleen Kennedy and all of the Lucasfilm folk felt that he knew what he was doing and could really take Star Wars somewhere great. Mm -hmm. So they had that confidence in him to give him a trilogy before yeah. The Last Jedi was re released. Yeah. So in my opinion, if they're going to cancel that, that's in a way giving lip service to all the fans that whined and complained about The Last Jedi right. and Ryan Johnson, but also taking away what could have been something really great and amazing for Star Wars. Mm. I, I echo that. I think that, you know, say what you want about The Last Jedi. No Star Wars film, first and foremost, no Star Wars film is without flaw. Mm -hmm. Let's just throw that out there at the beginning. Obviously, yeah. And, you know, we can talk about choices made in The Last Jedi or how certain characters were, were done, underserved, overserved, however you want to say it. I think that a person with integrity and honesty would have a hard time arguing that Ryan Johnson is a bad director or a bad writer in general, mm -hmm. right? In general. Mm -hmm. And I think to give him an opportunity to deal with characters that we don't yet have expectations for. I, I think that that would be a disservice to fandom to pull that away because the guy is talented. Mm -hmm. And I think that Regina, this kind of plays into what you were talking about earlier, as far as like a time to mourn the relationships of characters that we've loved for however long. And I think that had Ryan Johnson come in and not done something that involved legacy characters, I think, I think, although Star Wars fandom is a very wonky beast that's hard to predict, I think that reception would have been very different mm -hmm. for him. And so I, 
I still hope that that's out there. We'll undoubtedly see at at the very latest. I'm guessing 2026. We'll, we'll have some insight by then whether he's still on board or not. But inevitably, I think so long as we can have creators creating, I think more Star Wars is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of pacing things out, making it every couple of years. I think there's all kinds of wisdom in that. It gives us an opportunity to kind of breathe between these larger installments. And with the addition of Disney Plus, we're not going to be at a loss for content. No. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that that's great too. And it's going to really, I think it's going to enrich the overall galaxy and the story that's woven throughout it because we're going to meet some great characters that we're going to fall in love with that we have no idea even who they are at this point. And I think that's super exciting. With that, let's take a quick break and come back and jump into our Closer Look topic. I'm going in closer to one of the big ones. Closer. Come closer, I have good news. A certain point of view. Same thing I always do, talk my way out of it. The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. I never ask that question until after I've done it. You're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. All right, welcome back to our Closer Look topic. And tonight's Closer Look is brought to you by Total Custom Patches, the official patch and sticker provider for unmistakably Star Wars. Total Custom Patches, total solutions for all your patch needs. Learn more at TotalCustomPatches.com. And also sponsoring tonight's Closer Look segment, the one and only Connie she. So, listen, last week we began this new series looking at these macro themes all throughout Star Wars. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the macro theme, and then we're going to kind of talk about how that theme may rear its head in Episode 9. Last week we talked about good versus evil. This week we're going to talk about... This- this is so fun. I, this is one of the quintessential Star Wars themes. And listen, I'm going to say that probably every week for the next several weeks. But we're talking about courage. Courage. And so I want you, panelists, to begin thinking about how we might see courage show itself in Episode 9. But before we get there, let's first talk a little bit about, one, what it means to have a theme. So for those of you that are just jumping on board with us this week, theme is... More or less, we're, we're defining it at least as something that is repetitive and consistent throughout something, right? In ancient literature, they didn't have the ability to bold, underline, italicize, highlight, all that stuff. So in order for a writer, an author to get his or her point across to an audience, something had to be repeated over and over and over again. The more times it was repeated, the more the author was trying to make that point. So we're looking at that apply to this current series and and looking at it through the lens of courage. Let me read this to you. This is actually from Psychology Today. And this is entitled The Six Attributes of Courage. And so let me read these six attributes of courage to you and see if you can kind of match them with some of the things that have unfolded within the Star Wars galaxy. So here is number one, feeling fear yet choosing to act. Feeling fear, yet choosing to act. Number two on their list, following your heart, right? Sometimes you have to have courage to just let go of everything else and focus on what your heart is telling you. Number three, persevering in the face of adversity. My goodness, that plays itself out all kinds of ways in the Star Wars universe. Number four, standing up for what is right. 
Number five, expanding your horizons, letting go of the familiar, perhaps unlearning what you have learned. And number six, facing suffering with dignity or faith. So with those six things in mind, that kind of kind of give us some parameters for tonight's discussion. Before we start talking about episode nine, though, I want to kind of go back within the first six, seven, eight, however many you want to list there, installments of Star Wars films that we have so far, and talk a little bit about courage. Regina, from your perspective, what, I guess, characters or perhaps scenes, favorite moments come to mind when you hear the word courage mentioned in regard to Star Wars? Um, so actually, two characters came to my mind, and they have very... Um, similar stories so my first one is from rogue one um bodhi rook because he um defected from the empire and then finn mm, because yeah. he defected from the first order so those were the mm. first two that came to my mind I, I love those i mean and just using those two examples i mean you go back to that list from psychology today and you can tick off a, a couple of those that apply to those characters really well i love those picks Barb, from your perspective, give me a couple of situations or characters who you believe really exemplify courage within the Star Wars universe. Well, the first one that came to my mind was Leia in A New Hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just right from the beginning, just, you know, facing evil in the face and not being afraid, just being who she is. Absolutely. And, you know, her that role of courage and who she is just continues throughout the entire movie and the whole saga. Um, and then, um, I'm the same as Jean. I was going to say Finn, Mm. um, for, you know, in the beginning, it seems like he's defecting because he's afraid, Mm -hmm. you know, and wants to get as far away, but it, it took a lot of strength and courage to actually do what he did too. Yeah. Those are good, good picks. Good picks. Eve, how about you? Um, so, of course, I had to go with Luke in Return of the Jedi facing, uh, Vader. Like, he Mm. knows it's his father. He doesn't know how it's going to go. I I wrote a lot of Luke down, like, leaving Dagobah, Luke in the trench, but also in bringing it to the sequel trilogy, I think Rey leaving Jakku Mm. was just overall one of the big kind of moments for me, which was like, oh, I love this character. Like mm. she keeps talking about how she can't leave and she can't leave and she has, you know, endless script, you know, scratches and, but she goes. I, all great picks. You know, it's interesting as, as you were saying those, I was, I was thinking, what are some examples of courage that are, we'll just kind of loosely call it background or second tier characters. And, and I'm really drawn to, you know, the, these pilots of the Y wings and the X wings and the trench run and a new hope that were just kind of mm. like, they knew that they were going to get blasted from behind, but they were willing to do that in order for Red Leader, Gold Leader, uh, Luke to take their shot at the exhaust port. Just just knowing that, like, you know your your destiny is going to be up really soon. I, I think that's mm-hmm. tremendous. I, I think the same thing we go back to to Rogue One. And, Regina, you brought up Bodhi. And I think, my goodness, we, we look at Chirrut cross the the sand dunes in order to to flip the switch we look at Jin and cassian uh climb the spire to get up to where the the dish is and so many examples i'm curious you know whether it's in real life or within the star wars galaxy regina for you why is 
courage as a theme typically so compelling for we humans? Mm. Um, I think, I think it's just really inspiring to see someone in the face of something difficult or, um, something that you're not sure of, uh, to be able to put yourself out there and whether you succeed or not, just knowing, um, (sighs) that you tried I think is very valiant. When when I saw this in the notes, mm. actually, a quote came to my mind um, from the movie We Bought a Zoo. And it says, you know, sometimes mm. all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come out of it. And to me, that applies to the different mm. characters and situations that we've talked that all you need is just once 20 seconds, I, one second, so to well put yourself said, out and- there. As, you as can someone who has yourself, a, you can change a daytime the world, job you can change people around you, and I think really just that's inspiring the stories for of people, teaching, teaching history, which makes it sound so utterly dry and boring. But, you know, one of the things I drill into my students time and time again from the first day to the last day is it, history is not about dates and dead people, but it's about, it's about the common story that we all share. And, you know, how many times have we seen countless people that – do exactly what you've just described, Regina, as far as just like they, for whatever reason, for whatever motivation, do that extra thing, take that extra step, make that decision that in some cases puts themselves on the line that they don't come back from. And I think, you know, history is painted with all kinds of people who who make those decisions. I'm interesting for those of you that know who the, Hollywood actor John Wayne was, you know, he has a a Mm. famous quote. And of course he was always seen as kind of this rough and tough cowboy. And one of his quotes, or at least a quote that's attributed to him is courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. And I think that's such a succinct way to actually look at this thing. It's what separates, right? The people that will be mere observers of history and, and ones that will actually be talking about years and generations later. Barb, from your perspective, when we look at courage within the confines of Star Wars, or again, I guess we can go a little bit beyond that. Why do you think personally that it's such a compelling thing, something that really draws us in and, and in some cases even gives us hope? Well, I think it draws us in because it's something that we all hope to have mm. and something we hope, hope to aspire to yeah. is is being courageous in in all the ways that psychology today defines it is something that shows great character in and perseverance and all of those things that um most people would want to have so when we see that you know in star wars or anywhere we admire it you know we i don't we look up to it and yeah want want to attain that and what was the second part of your question i I think just like what what makes it so compelling and what is it about that when we see it, it really it inspires us? It gives us hope. It almost it thinks, you know, if we look at psychology and sociology, one of the reasons people go to film or immerse themselves into drama is often, one, for coping strategies, but two, is to kind of give us examples and to give us hope mm-hmm. and to inspire us to do something. And so from from your perspective, like how does Star Wars, do you think, accomplish that through the theme 
of courage. Well, I think it's funny that you put it that way because sometimes, you know, we see movies for all of those reasons, but also just just to escape reality sometimes. Yeah. And Star Wars definitely does that for us. However, you know, even in this galaxy far, far away with lightsabers and Jedis and things that we just don't have in, you know, the real day-to-day world, right. we still find ourselves relating to characters and specific characters. And so when we see these great acts of like heroism or mm-hmm. courage or everything that you know the, the hero is doing on right. his journey right um th- we think to ourselves if they can do that in that situation then i can do that in mine mm. because you know blockbuster movies and and star wars movies it's it's They're facing death Mm, mm -hmm. the majority of the time, like literal death. And Mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, at least in Western society for us, we're not technically facing death every day when we still need courage to, you know, get up and speak in front of a classroom or things like that. But But it gives us that extra push of, you know, he's facing death and he can do that. I can do this. Yeah. I So well said. And I wouldn't undersell like... Everyday courage. I mean, I, I literally have, I, I work primarily with 17 and 18 year olds in my classroom, but it's amazing how many of them are still scared to death to get up in front of a group yeah. and talk about something, even though that they're familiar with it, passionate about the topic, whatever else, uh, just literally have come to me in tears asking for any way out of the assignment so they don't have to go in front of people. And I think that that's very real, whether you're okay speaking in front of people or not. I think that we all have things that, Sometimes we have to reach deep for that extra ounce of courage to complete that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, folks, even on our, our own USW team, and I'm thinking in particular of Fun Andy Bex's husband, Jason, and you know that family went through literal hell only a handful of years ago with cancer. And, of course, our, our very own Megan Cullinan went through that as well. And that makes a lot of my moments of lack of courage seem really, really puny, but it's interesting how folks can draw on these themes and strength from these characters in order to get through, like you said, very real world life events. Mm -hmm. Eve, let me bring you back into this. When it comes to courage within the confines of the star Wars galaxy, how do you think that that theme has really had an impact on the saga as a whole. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I'm actually a little upset right now. I don't know if I can talk. <laughs> it's okay. Take your time. <laughs> How do I think courage has affected Star Wars and the saga as a whole. I don't think if I'm looking at it in a grand picture, I don't think anything that would have happened would have happened without courage. Mm. I think every step of the journey for every character has required some level of courage and, Mm. and by the very definition of it, it's, it's the ability to do something that frightens you. And if you strip away, you know, being a heroine or a hero and 
you just come down to the person if they are doing something that scares them and pushes them <laughs> to a place that they are wholly unfamiliar, that they don't know the outcome. Yeah. It's it's terrifying and it takes mm. something inside of all of us that you know in in our society for the most part we don't have to enact all that often mm. but when we see it in the star wars films we recognize it and it calls to question would we be able to do that mm. and you know i <laughs> there's a lot of ways that courage applies to real life that has nothing to do with you know flying a plane flying an x-wing through a trench and and hoping you make the shot because if not you know the alternative but I can't actually talk about that right now. It's just, I think it's one of the ultimate, most powerful parts of Star Wars. And mm. for me personally, the most, um, one of the most relatable ones. Mm. Well, well said. Regina, I'm curious from your perspective, how do you think that we might view Star Wars or how do you think that our attraction to Star Wars might be different if courage didn't play such a key role in really every film and so many characters within each film? Um, I definitely think the films wouldn't be as relatable. Uh, it would take away some of the love that we have for the characters mm -hmm. if, we, mm -hmm. if we didn't connect with them on that way. Um, it's actually an example that I just thought of um, but I think of in The Phantom Menace when Anakin left his mom and you could obviously tell that mm -hmm. he didn't want to leave Shmi I think that yeah. in itself was an act of courage to leave mm -hmm. her um, especially leaving her in slavery and contained in itself that such a small moment he's just leaving a planet but the implications of him leaving that planet are major and affect the star wars galaxy as a whole in fact if he doesn't leave the story that we get isn't the story that we have and i think that in itself is inspiring because i mean like eve was saying not every act of courage has to be this really really big thing for that example it turned into a big thing or ultimately led to a big thing but all he did was leave home mm. and isn't that there's what makes it so beautiful, there, there's two sides of that, right? Because while Anakin had to have courage to leave, I would figure Shmi had to have at least that much courage to let him go. And for those of you that are listening that are parents, I mean, it's one thing to send your kid off to camp for a week or so in the summer, but to, to let your kid go with the very high probability of never seeing him or her again is, like, to me, I mean that that's the impossible decision to, to make. Barb, when you look at courage, you look at star Wars, you look at all the examples that we've talked about, where do you think we might see that theme creep up again in episode nine? I was really trying to think about this because it's, it's hard to know exactly where episode nine is going. Yeah. And, you know, we've got Ray taking up the helm of, the Jedi, basically. Mm. And what is that going to look like for her? Mm. And so I just kept thinking about 
that question pertaining to Ray and mm. the journey that they're on. Um, cause we know that they're on a journey. They've said that. <laughs> right. Right. And, but, but she also has to find her place in that. Mm. It's not, it's, it's so funny cause we talk about courage, but it's also about understanding a person's identity, like finding your own identity. And we've seen Ray trying to figure that out in the first two of her storyline in the force awakens and the last Jedi. It's, yeah. What is her identity? Who is yeah. she? And now in the third movie being, in a sense, the last Jedi, but she won't be the last or Luke won't be the last. You know, there's yeah. going to be more. She's got to really figure out how to do that. Mm. And that to me, you know, when you you ask how courage is going to look, what what it's going to look like in episode nine, I just keep thinking of right and mm. what she's going to do. And Yeah. Well, and she's already showed so much courage, right? I mean, yeah. not just leaving Jakku, which undoubtedly was a big deal, but at the same time I think of, hey, here's an idea. I'm going to put myself in the space coffin thing yes. <laughs> and be shot out to Kylo Ren and about three bajillion First Order stormtroopers on this ship. Um, that took a little bit of courage to do, right? And then how courageous was it after the whole fight scene to continue to tell kylo no i don't think so ben yeah that was actually my second one that i meant to say and yeah. i didn't say was ray in the throne room standing up to kylo yeah and i think you know given our culture and we can look at social media we can look at just our own lives aside from social media if such a thing exists <laughs> and and i think that so many people often just get atted for standing up disagreeing with something and it doesn't even have to be something completely you know moral versus immoral it could just be like oh no i enjoyed the last jedi something completely insignificant like that and then like that actually kind of takes courage to some extent and that's not the same courage that people with medical conditions or whatever face but it is interesting how even that small little thread of actually saying that you like a film strangely enough, can be a courageous act. Yeah. It's it's fascinating to me. Regina, from your perspective, how do you think we might see courage play itself out in episode nine? Um, so when you asked this, uh, one of the first thoughts in my head was the quote, um, but you cannot deny the truth that is your family. And mm. I personally think that the, the courage that's going to come from this episode is Kylo Ren finally acknowledging everything that he's done mm. and where he's come from and being redeemed. And it's not going to be a, you walk into the resistance and they just accept you because he's mm. done a lot of terrible things to the resistance. Mm. Um, mm. But I think even recognizing in himself, I have been manipulated. Yes. But I've also made choices of my own volition. I have mm. to live with the consequences of my actions. I want to change help me change hmm. i think that takes courage yeah wow really well said i hadn't really looked at it from that perspective before but i really like that and if indeed he's headed down a path toward redemption whether he faces that or receives that or not will be interesting but yeah i don't think the redemption just simply comes from saying yeah my bad i was mistaken <laughs> I think there's a little bit more to it than that, which we're going to get into redemption at, at one point as we talk about these macro themes. Eve, from your perspective, do you have any particular, I guess, either speculation how this may unfold or 
maybe even more courageous, how you want it to unfold. Mm. <laughs> I Well, I think Barb covered Ray and Gina covered Kylo. And I think for the most part, I am completely in line with, with, with each of their answers. Um, how I want it to go, that would be a courageous answer. <laughs> I... I it depends on the day of the week, honestly. I know that's a real <laughs> flippant crap answer, but some days I can understand and easily see the Ben Demption arc, and then other days I think it's too predictable, it's too same thing we've seen time and again, and mm-hmm. I and I don't want it to happen. And and I know that <laughs> Fun Anti Bex is completely on the no redemption train and mm. You know, that takes courage for, for my girl to say that every time, especially at live on the pod stage when she said it. But yes, I, yeah, I just think going into this, I don't, I can see how either one would play out. And for me personally, I, it depends on how, it depends on how they do it. If they do it mm. right and it involves Leia to some great capacity, then I will absolutely be on board. If mm. it doesn't, then it will not sit well. Well, you bring up the next kind of logical question. And even let me just stick with you on this. Do we see Leia involved with the potential theme thread of courage in mm. episode nine? I undoubtedly, it, she has to be. If they're going with a redemption arc and it's her son that needs redeeming, she knows her son killed, you know, uh, the love of her life. Mm. So even though Kylo is her son, to look at him and see that every single time, just that alone takes courage. And then to opt to forgive him, Mm. I I mean, (laughs) must I finish the sentence? (laughs) No, I think that we can all understand where that path leads. I'm curious, mm. Regina, from your perspective, do you think that there's going to kind of be someone that we're not expecting to show tremendous courage to actually step up and surprise us as fandom? Um, I could see that just because I don't have any expectations on that front, which means that something's going to happen that blows my mind. What Mm. character or situation that would be, I do not know, but I could undoubtedly see it. Barb, any speculation? Somebody that may surprise us with their act of courage? Kylo. How would that work, do you think? Or how would you want it to work? I don't know, because I'm, I'm so on the fence about this whole redemption thing. Yeah. But if he sacrifices himself for someone, I know that's been done before and all of that, but, and then dies, because he has to die. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll come back to that at a later date, but. Yeah. I think, okay. I think it would be courageous to see him. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. Let me just. Barb, let me ask you this, because I'm thinking in terms of The Last Jedi and who might kind of be that person that's like, oh, wow, didn't see that coming. On a scale of one to five, one being, eh, not so much, five being, oh, my goodness, perfect textbook example, where would you put Admiral Holdo? Mm. For courage? Mm -hmm. Like, at the top. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Does anyone come to mind that showed greater courage within The Last Jedi? And there's no right or wrong answer. This is just kind of picking at your mind. Greater courage than Admiral Holdo in in The Last Jedi. Specifically within The Last Jedi. I think Rose's sister. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would I wouldn't say that that's a good pick. Regina, anyone like come to mind that goes like, oh, if we're looking for the textbook example within The Last Jedi, this character is it. Um, I would probably have to say Ray. Okay. Yeah. And it'd be, it'd be hard to push back against either one of those. I mean, I think that we, we can pick a good number of people. Mm-hmm. And again, it, what I love about mm-hmm. that is it just shows like the power of this theme. Oh, it's that person. And it's that person. Is that, and you really kind of see how like, oh my goodness, like courage is a major fabric that is woven into this tapestry that we love so much called Star Wars. And I think that. With so many different characters, no wonder why we are called to this saga over and over and over again. Because I I, I really think that there's, and this kind of goes back to one of the news stories that we touched on. And one of the things that you brought up, Regina, as far as kind of identifying with the character. And I think, you know, well beyond just skin color or hair type or male or female, whatever else it might be. We, we see those moments where it may be a character that is otherwise meek and shows courage, otherwise cocky and has to show courage to change his or her behaviors in order to help other people. It is, I think to me, just really kind of a, a cool feeling to go like, oh my gosh, what a great, truly saga tale of courage. I, I have someone that is a, this is a colleague, and he still doesn't understand the the draw that I have to Star Wars. And we have very different upbringings, but I think it's things like this. For all of those times in my formative years where I had to overcome whatever was going on at the time, it's like, oh, no. Actually, Star Wars is great because when I was a five-year-old or when I was a seven-year-old and this was going on in my life, it was a super ugly chapter of my life. No, actually looking to Luke Skywalker or looking to Leia helped me get through that as a regular old seven-year-old. So I, I, I love the fact that we can talk about these themes and not only how they might come up in episode nine, but certainly how they've been there this whole time and how they, they touch on, on our own lives. Well, listen, Tauntauns, we want to know from you, what are some of the best illustrations within Star Wars that you find that really illustrate the theme of courage. We, we want to know. As always, you can email us at unmistakablystarwars at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at unmistakablysw. And, of course, feel free to um, respond via the website as well in the show notes. So just click reply and add your comments to that. Stick around. We'll be back to wrap things up in just a moment. We're not done yet. Tauntauns. Well, as we wrap things up, we're continuing on with this theme study next week, and we're going from courage to power. 
power. I think that's going to be fun. I can't wait to get into that one. There are so many great examples of power. So listen, feel free. Feel free to throw your two cents in before we even have our recording next week. We record on Monday evenings. So feel free to DM us or email us or send ravens or smoke signals or whatever it is that you do. And let us know what are some of the great examples of power also within Star Wars that you appreciate so much and how, how we might see that in episode nine as well. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please, please, please wing on over there and make that happen. Jeremy is releasing two episodes per week of prequels and a pint. There are these little tasty five to eight minute morsels of goodness. We're literally, I think at episode, I think we just dropped episode 22 or 23 today. And we're only like 30 minutes into the Phantom Menace. It's it's so fun to do. So we hope that you will join us for that. We've got some other YouTube series coming up later this month. So stick around for that as well. And as always, we would be remiss in our duties if we did not thank our generous patrons. So to you, Brandon Boylan, Jim Capron, Derek DeVernay, Dave Hackerson, Michelle Grandine, Matthew Keegan, Chris Letty, Steve Long, Neil Lowry, Mario Piper, Kyle Russell, Regina Sanders, Connie Shee, Aaron Sinners, Chris Smolenski, Franklin Taylor, Rick Villanueva, Mike Award, and the fabulous Amy Wishman. We thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your generosity and your sacrifices to be patrons of this podcast. We hope that you know that every little bit counts and that we try to put that towards more and better programming for you all. And who knows, Barb, if we have leftovers, we might even buy some beaver tails for everybody. Patron beaver tail fest 2019. It's happening. Mark it down. Put it down on your calendar, Barb. You got it. You're not marking it down. Yeah, I I, I got it. You're just saying that, but they can't see you. You're not marking it down. All right. Back to the <laughs> announcements. Listen, um, we hope that we'll see you next time in the digital docking bay. My little tauntauns, the circle is now complete. Until next week, may the force be with you. Unmistakably Star Wars is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at weareescapepods.com and on Twitter at weareescapepods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.